Hello, computer bat friends and every cosmic cowboy in the land. I'm Joey. I'm Matt. I'm Kristen. And welcome to Messing with the Master, a podcast where three lifelong Tori Amos fans reflect on the iconic singer-songwriter's catalog by thoughtfully and intentionally reorganizing each album into fresh playlists that explore Tori's musical legacy, as well as our own interconnected personal narratives and friendship, which began with a shared passion for Tori's music over 20 years ago. This week, we're taking a satiny, luscious dive into Native Invader, Tori's criminally underrated 2017 meditation on trauma, both political and personal, and the ways in which cosmic discordance manifests into our day-to-day lives. Now, a reminder that though we hope our listeners know Tori's music well and can recall the album that we're discussing with front-to-back intimacy, if that's not the case, we strongly encourage you to re-listen to the album that we're discussing, as well as its respective B-sides, so you can groove along with us. Of course, you may decide you prefer to give it a fresh listen after we plead our cases for these reconstructed track listings, which we will include in the show notes. Also, an important note, since these playlists will be curated and personalized to our individual relationships and reflections on these albums, sometimes there will be songs that are removed and some that are added. But it's vital that you know these are not criticisms of those songs. We are about as fanatical and knowledgeable of the woman we call Tori, her life, her artistry, her records, her live performances as humanly possible. So everything that happens on this podcast is done with deep love, admiration, and respect for the gifts that Tori has given and continues to give to us. So get ready to outcreate with the backbone of night and skate all the way from Scandinavia to the moons of Jupiter with us because this is messing with the master, Native Invader. Hey guys, what's up? Hello. Excited to Hi, dive friends. into the, Excited to dive into this week's um, swimming pool. Oh. <laughs> me me too. This is um this album is fucking great. <laughs> I so good. love it so much, and I just am reminded by how much I love it from the many, many re-listens I've been doing over the past few days. This is what's so fun about our podcast is, of course, we love these albums, and we listen yeah. to them all the time, but the past few days, I've been listening to this a ton, and it's been so good. So good. Yeah. These songs are so good. This is, I think, my mm-hmm. favorite in the second half. Like, if we're going to just split Tori's yeah. career yeah. down the middle to make it easy, yep. this is my favorite from the latter half. I would agree. Wow. That's a big statement. I feel like, you know, this this one flies really under the radar for some reason, but mm-hmm. it sounds really, really good. It sounds like an evolved yeah. version of the Tory sound, right? It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. all of the elements that we've grown to love about Tory, um, but just really sort of refined and really laid bare. It's a really sparsely constructed album where all of the sounds are just perfectly placed in the landscape. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's really it's really a beautiful listen when you really get into it. Yeah, and somehow almost seven years later, which is crazy, um, it sounds fresher than it did in 2017. Something about it feels very now to me, right? Like it sounds not at all 
not that seven years ago would be would be super dated, but there's something about the construction of the songs, the um, the musicianship, the the production that just sounds like really right now. I can't quite describe it. There's something just so fresh about it. Um, I feel like I it's very it. crisp, and that makes it kind of timeless. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. I would also say that thematically and stylistically it's really tight everything mm-hmm. the, the themes of the record are really clear even yeah. though the writing can be you know just beautifully obtuse at times the themes really show through uh in the writing and the lyrics and mm-hmm. i think in the um like the emotional backbone of the record yeah yeah i agree it's super coherent um and cohesive um and i think that um What's interesting about it, there are two things that I think off the bat, we're obviously going to do a very deep dive into it. But one, I think that because the album that came before it, Geraldine's, Unrepentant Geraldine's, um, there was something kind of like really charmingly um, like slapped together about that record because she wasn't supposed to do an album, right? She was sort of writing mm-hmm. songs on the side while she was working on The Light Princess. Um and it was the first time that she and Mark kind of like fiddled around in the studio and just did everything themselves, all the instruments, all the sounds, whether it's drum programming or live drum, like it just, they did that for the first time together. You could have lied to anybody and said, oh, this is Matt Chamberlain on drums. And I yeah. wouldn't have any reason to not believe it. Um, it feels like a full band. It feels like the music is interesting and varied, right? It doesn't feel that sort of like the homegrown um, quality that exists on Geraldine's doesn't feel that way here. This feels bigger. This feels more expensive. This feels more, um, I don't know, it just feels more like advanced or something sound-wise, right? It's very impressive what they achieve together. Very impressive. I think what's missing from, well, not missing, but I think what's different from if we're comparing Geraldine's to Native Invader, Native Invader has, I think, more textures, more yeah. details, oh, yeah. more moods. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's darker. There's more the darkness, I think. Yes. There's a lot of vulnerability in it that I more than Geraldine's to me. We'll talk about it when we get into our listing. I think it really makes sense um, that vulnerability comes through on this record, um, just given where Tori was at the time. So, Yeah. Well, and to expand on that, um, that's the second thing that I wanted to bring up. I think one of the reasons that this album gets overlooked, whenever I read anything from anybody who says that they don't like this album, I like have to sit on my hands to not like go crazy on my keyboard and like, be like what are you, nuts? Does that like, happen all is, the time? It happens a lot. It happens, <laughs> it happens quite a bit. There's a lot of like, and this is why I think part of it is Well, that- even in our comments, people said, oh, that's not an album that I... Or our, you know, our messages. That's yeah. not an album that I go to, and I, right. I didn't say it, but I wanted to say it's my favorite of the latter half. Yeah. No. Well, I think part of the reason is, and I think you'll agree with me, is that one of the purposes I think of touring a new record is to contextualize the songs, so people hear them living amongst other songs in your catalog. And Tori's always been so exceptional about that, but for whatever reason. I think we can probably assume that it had to do with her mother's health and just the way she was feeling, the mood of that tour. And so I think because there was a lack of contextualization of the songs for the audience, there are not a bunch of recordings that exist of her 
performing all these songs at various shows. So when you remove that, you remove um, the opportunity for people to, um, you know, kind of like, I don't know, grow with the music. And so you have Mm -hmm. the album only. And if you happen to love it the way we do, you find new things to love about it. But live performances crack open songs for people. And so because most of these songs, the majority of them were never performed live, um, I think that that sort of does, that does away with some of that recontextualization and that cracking open. That, yeah. I think that's spot on. Like, I think for us, because we devour everything right away and we love everything, we forget that. But I can remember a lot of the first time I heard a song and it made me, in most cases, love the song even more than I did before. Or if it was a song I didn't connect with, I could. So that makes sense. Well, I think especially when we think about it, following our conversation on Scarlet's Walk, which we talked about had like a two year long tour and we heard that's like most of those songs on that record multiple times and we could hear their transformation. And we went through the journey that she went through subtle changes, you know, whatever uh, sort of occurred between that first show and that last show on the lot of pianos tour that next, you know, uh, summer. Um, So you also don't sort of hear the nuances or the evolution of a song. Some of it, yes, because she performed Reindeer King almost every night, right? There's a few songs um, that do sort of go on that journey. But I think overall, that element, um, that tour was great and reinvented, you know, a bunch of other songs. Speaking of uh, Scarlet's Walk, you know, we uh, talk about the, what, 13-minute version of Sort of Fairy Tale that she would do with the live mixing on stage, which was really interesting. Like, just when you think this can't go on any longer. It goes on even longer. And it's like such an interesting meditative, different um, relationship to that song. IAE was very, very different. So, so she was doing stuff on that tour, but a lot of it didn't involve the new material. And I also think that I don't believe this is the case for Tori, but I think sometimes people misunderstand and think, well, if she is not singing from this record, she must not value these songs as much as other songs. And that might sort of seep into people and sort of their own uh, biases about the music, right? I just love it. I just think it's amazing. Um, but before we get deep into it, you know, this album's this album's history, his story. Um, <laughs> We're going to do that a lot. Yeah. Um, actually, mm-hmm. dates back um, to 2016, and our very own Matthew has um, a very intimate, um, professional and personal relationship um to native invader and all that came before it in that preceding year so maddie if you wouldn't mind taking it away and giving us some background and some context about your relationship to this very special album uh we would love it sure so um i guess for those who don't really know me or know much about me, I work in the film and entertainment industry doing strategy around communications, um, distribution, film festivals, awards campaigns, and nonfiction. So um, I've been working in that space for a really long time. And I was in Los Angeles, had a really good year, and I started working for Netflix in 2016. So um I, when I got to Netflix, I was encouraged 
to take big swings, have big ideas, and to do exciting things. It was really great coming from an agency to go to this massive streamer where you could make your wildest dreams come true um, with Netflix money was, you know, really freeing. It was great. (laughs) So because of my enthusiasm for Tori and her music and because of my love for film, I always in my head figured at some point those worlds would collide. At some point I would be able to find a project to work on. You know, it was one of those, those just one of those big ideas that Netflix wanted. So, um, of course, every single project that I would get, I would say, well, where's the Tory angle here? How can I make this work? <laughs> so when the actual correct project came along, I got really excited because I could see it all happening and I could see how it would work. So the project was Audrey and Daisy, which was a Netflix original documentary that came out in 2016, debuted in 2016 at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, it's Bonnie Cohen Shank, John Shank are the filmmakers and Sarah Dosa is uh, one of the producers uh, on Audrey and Daisy. So I started working for Netflix very early in 2016 and I immediately was placed on that film. And I knew that because of the themes of the film, so the, the film is about two young women, teenagers, young teenagers, one in Silicon Valley, one in um, the heartland in Missouri who both, experience, uh, sexual assault, um, and really are, um, treated even worse by their communities who don't believe them. Yeah. And I mean, I was going, I I was asking Tori to go to a place that, you know, is for her a really, uh, it's something I don't know that she thinks about all the time anymore, but it's something that's very personal uh, a trauma of her own. And, uh, I just didn't really realize at the time because things were moving so fast, uh, what a tall order that all was. And, and not to give too much away of like the, how the sausage is made, but like, it was also tough behind the scenes because, you know, even though this was a great idea and I had, you know, the approval to do it, I still had to ask two filmmakers who I respect very much to make changes to their film and to add this to their film and to uh, get on board with something. And we didn't know each other that well at the time. So I was asking for a lot of trust from them, a lot of trust from Tori, a lot of trust from the, the film's producer. And also internally, I had to like go around and basically solicit buy-in from all of these people at Netflix Um to, to really execute the kind of success I needed. And, you know, I'm going up to Lisa Nishimura, who was the head of Netflix documentaries at the time, who's one of the biggest geniuses I've ever met in my life, who changed the way the entire world watches documentaries and saying, hey, how about this Tori Amos track? And, you know, it worked and it made sense. So all of that was going on behind the scenes. Um, and I think it's important to think about that work that Tori did uh, in 2016 as a precursor to Native Invader, because I think that um, it that song primed her for a lot of the things she talked about on the record. 
Yeah, and I think we've actually managed to not even name the song. We are, of course, talking about Flicker. Flicker, Flicker, the original song written by Tori Amos for the Netflix documentary Audrey and Daisy. Um, and you're right. I mean, I remember we, uh, Kristen and I, were fortunate enough to be invited by Matthew to this wonderful, intimate um, premiere and Q and A um, of Audrey and Daisy back in. Um, was it September 2016? Was it yep. September? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Soho Hotel, maybe? It was a wonderful, it was great. And Cosby we, Street. yes. And, and we, um, afterwards, got sort of, you know, taken away by Matthew, literally to a hall by the elevator. He's like, just wait here. And, <laughs> and minutes later, Tori came out and we got to talk to her and congratulate her on the song and, and, and share our feelings. And we had a conversation with her about what she was working on. And she said, well, I'm writing one of two records. It really depends what happens in November. And she, she meant the election, of course. And she essentially told us that she was simultaneously writing two albums and would know what direction to go in based on what happened in the world. And so, of course, um, Trump gets elected and we get Native Invader. And I um, I think about that record because it's such an... it's it's um, it's so it's so different than I think I would have anticipated a political album, especially at, you know after the work that she did on American Doll Posse um, and the beekeeper to some extent, right? Thinking about um, politics and the patriarchy and corruption. Um, but there's something so warm and healing about Native Invader. And I realize, and there's, there's anger on there too, but there's a warmth and a care. Um, Native Invader feels like um, a balm for our troubles and our collective trauma, uh, kind of that, you know, that was leading up to, and that I think she knew was down the road for us because, you know, she, she, you know, she's been around and she's seen uh, all types of administrations and, uh, the country move up and down in different directions. And she's always really been in tune with that, especially as a touring musician over, you know, 30 years. I think she's always been paying attention to the temperature of the world and the country. Um, and so I think that there was something like she knew what we would need from her in that record that would sustain us um, over the next few years. I think that's why it still sounds so fresh because we're still in these painful tumultuous times like this wasn't about one administration you know four years this was about you know the foreseeable future and there's something about native invader that holds space for that and you can revisit it um and find something new to sort of uh use to fuel righteous anger or protest or resistance or to comfort and get through grief and trauma or just to try to sort of understand the world. I don't know. Um, for, you all can tell me what you think, but when I close my eyes and I listen to Native Invader or I think of it, I just, I think of the galaxy. I think of the universe. I think of, I think of space, like little, like stars. I think of, um, it feels so celestial, even though it's dealing with so much that is happening in reality on the ground. There's a blend of uh, like the metaphysical and um, the literal and um, the spiritual and um, the 
political. Like it's all happening kind of simultaneously in these songs, right? There's there are love stories, there's pain, there's mourning, um, and a lot of that is like layered in to the same song that has like all of the parts feel like I don't know, the songs feel connected almost like one long song in some ways, right? Um and that's my feeling about it before we get into the track listings, of course, but but um that's sort of my sense and my feeling and the vibe, especially you know, listening again so much recently, it just really reinforces that um simultaneity and that, you know, multitude that the record holds. I I got a sense I, I'm glad you brought the celestial part of that up because that I was really feeling that myself. And for me it was more of like um like a folkloric element mm-hmm. or like a like a mystical psychedelic yeah. sort of sheen to the record yeah. that's um very much like being outside in nature and communing with nature and tapping into nature there's a very like sp- a spiritual for lack of a better word connection i think yeah that feels right um when i was it's weird cuz uh matt remember you and i once were talking about like the f- feeling of an album like the season remember we were like oh this one feels like fall and winter um when i was in iceland a few years ago i went in in the middle of winter so it was like you know (laughs) 20 hours of darkness and we you know it was all northern lights the whole time it was so cool but i remember being surprised that it felt like native invader invader to me i remember being on the diamond beach um it's like all black lava uh tiny, tiny sand and they had these like huge glaciers. And I was like, this feels like native invader. Wow. And that even surprised me that that's the, the album I went to. Um, but so like, that's what I see. So when you were talking about like this earthiness or either the celestial, I think of like that darkness. Cause, cause Iceland looks like a different planet. It just does not seem, you know, like it's on earth. So. Well, going based off that, um, Kristen, what's your memory of first hearing this record and, where did you get it? Where did you buy it? Did you go to a okay. store? Did it come on Amazon? <laughs> this one was really weird because I think I remember just about everything. Like a- anywhere I was, how I got it. Was it a physical copy? Was it digital? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. And I was looking back and it's like, oh, I had like a two-year-old child. So so I think I just like had an out-of-body experience. And I think I was ready for tour because I actually don't remember, which is kind of fun. What about you, Joey? I have sort of a similar, like, you could implant any false memory in my mind and I would believe you. Yeah. I think it's because um, part of it's the digital thing, mm-hmm. right? The, digi- the digitization of it all, how, you know, um, we want to, we're all crazy. So it's like, yes, I will buy the online pre-order and I will also buy a physical copy. And so something about knowing that you have it, like that'll be waiting for you on your phone at the stroke. The of the literal night. minute it drops, yeah, right, right. And so, and so there was that aspect of it. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure I heard it, it advanced <laughs> before it came out um, for journalistic purposes, uh, but I didn't have a copy of it. Um, so there was that too. That sort of like hearing it for the first time, then having like like weeks before you could hear it again um yeah good point i don't remember anything that leaked i don't remember a leak either but she but she released a few songs in advance right there was cloud riders there was reindeer king um with those like sort of video the um 
There were little like lyric videos that went with it. She released something else. There were a few that she released on her own prior to it. What was the other one? Up the Creek. So she released at least three in advance as well. So we had like a, like a few weeks with songs before the album even came out, um, which was also, so it kind of, there was a piecemeal quality to it, I think on top of that. So when I finally had the whole record mm. and the artwork, which by the way, we need to talk about the artwork, which is, I love it, which is, you know, so incredible. And some of my mm-hmm. very favorite, it has a choir girl vibe to it. Um, yes. that artist, um, um, but she basically took photos of Tori and then she painted over them. So they have this like uncanny thing happening where it is Tori, but she's painted over Tori. So she does not look, um, doesn't look completely human or something. Right. And it, it's really pretty amazing. A lot of it looks like, um, tin type photography from the civil war. It has that sort of like, oh, yeah, 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 that's a pioneer sort of vibe to it. Um, which I've always really been attracted to. And that kind of like blurriness and smokiness and ghostliness uh, of those images because people weren't, you know, glammed out. They weren't posing like they do now. So uh, I think it has that quality, that very austere sort of quality to it. The artwork matches the austerity of a lot of the record. There's fire, there's forest, there's water, right? Like, and, and there's that one amazing picture where she has a very Stevie Nicks, um, caftan, and she and she's holding mm-hmm. it up, and it's like she's doing like an incantation of some kind. Um, just beautiful, beautiful artwork. Um, really striking, and feels more um in conversation with the artwork of the first four records as opposed to the latter day uh Tory albums. It feels like there's um more mood and narrative happening in the photographs. Um, and it really matches the music really beautifully. Uh. It, it just the whole album just has um it's conceptual without having to be sort of um too vocal about its concepts like it's doing stuff the whole time it's thematic it has patterns and themes that recur and imagery that that recurs and certain keywords that find themselves in multiple songs. And, uh, and there's also a quality to her voice. There's like a, there's a, like a, on most of the songs is like a very slight um, vocal effect that I can't quite describe as anything. And like the way I think about it is sort of out in the cold and like seeing your breath in front of you. There's like a, there's like a little layer of frost over all of the vocals or most of the vocals. There's something about it. There's a quality to that. I think a lot of that also has to do with um, John Philip Chanel. He does a lot of beautiful um, atmospheric background work on a lot of these songs. And I think that that's part of it too. So between the vocal effect and that, it's just, there's just something, you know, when she starts the album, well, maybe depending on her, track list but in the original uh when she starts with crystal core that crystal it's like it sets the the sets the temperature of the whole album that crystal it's not about it's not about being cold but it's about something i think so it reminds me of like the the sound of what it might be like to be trapped in ice yeah yeah this is giving um true detective i was gonna say (laughs) right now this season is good Matthew, do you remember when you first heard the record or where you purchased it? I don't remember exactly when I heard the record, but because I'd been working with Tori for a time um, by 2017, um, 
it was sent to me in advance. Um, and I was at my desk at Netflix and I was so busy and all I wanted to do was stop my entire day and go <laughs> home and listen to that record. Um, so um, I had been working with her, you know, for a year plus at that point. And um, I was really excited to to hear what she was up to because we had talked a little bit about it. And, um, you know, it was interesting because in that year before she made Native Invader, Tori was really, from what I saw, pushed very far from her comfort zone, right? You know, this goes back to asking her to do something really big because in addition to making the song, producing it, singing it, playing it, all of that, there were additional um, asks that were made of her to do publicity around the song because the intention was to do an awards campaign for the song and for Tori. And during that time... It was so interesting to see it because I was asking Tori to talk specifically about one song and its intention and its meaning for many months at a time, um, which is I know is something that we've seen her not love to do in the past. She likes to let the songs right. breathe and let people have their own interpretation of it. But, you know, I, so I asked her to do that. She did a lot of publicity around the song. We did a lot of campaigning around the song. She was, you know, meeting people who she had never met before, who loved her people, you know, journalists from the film world who had a lot of respect or who were fans who just never crossed into her orbit. And that was really exciting. So I, you know, saw all of that going on and I saw her, really pushing herself during that time to to do things that she'd never done before and to really be open and to, you know, work with young women who were, you know, survivors. You know, this was a really, uh, again, a big ask. And I think, you know, I was looking forward to seeing how, if at all, that played out on the record or if it influenced the record or how it influenced the record. Because, you know, those those experiences, as you mentioned, were all happening during a country hurtling toward a really volatile election. So that was all really evident in everything we were doing as well. It was evident in the conversations everyone was having behind the scenes at, you know, the photo shoots we would go to or the, the uh, recording studios that we would be in. Um, and there was just fear in the air. Everybody was scared shitless about what was going to happen. And I think that political tone, that grimness, that, that really sort of sinister underlying, that underpinning of sinister um, sinisterness in the air was a big part of how the album would originally play out. Uh, so yeah, so I heard the album in my apartment in Hollywood on my speakers um, after I got home from my shift at Netflix, which, you know, let's also <laughs> just say a shift at Netflix is 24 hours a day. It's not. Yeah. I was going to say a shift. <laughs> say a shift. I thought the same thing. God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that's so interesting that you have that context, Maddie, that you were with her and you, um, <laughs> even if you didn't know what specific music, she was um, like the way it would take shape. The fact that you can listen to that record and you can recall moments with her and and vibes and energy 
and recognize things that were happening because you spent basically a year with her promoting that song, doing mm-hmm. all that press. I mean, that incredible, was it the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable with yeah. Justin Timberlake and Alicia Keys and Sting yeah. and Pharrell and... John- it's an incredible interview. It's so good. It's so good. It, it's such a It's such a moment in her career. Um, and it was so wonderful to see her um, with peers, but also people who clearly were, you know, awed by her as well. They seemed very smitten by her. I love to watch it and watch their body language. I know, Matt, you and I have many times, but I love (laughs) just to see how into her they are. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's really cool. She doesn't do stuff like that. That, you know, again, like, I know, like, I just, when, when the opportunity, so, you know, the opportunity came up for that, that Hollywood Reporter Roundtable, and it was a hard-won opportunity. That's all I'm going yeah. to say. It wasn't yeah. something that was easy, you know, um, <laughs> to book, but it was a great day. And, yeah. you know, at that point, Tori had worked really hard on, you know, talking points and getting all of everything straight and talking about the song in a really passionate, powerful, coherent way um, that helped get word out about the documentary that helped get word out about the song again, really pushing herself out of her comfort zone at that time. And, and the bigger part of that is, and I don't, again, like don't want to, I don't speak for Tori and I, you know, certainly don't know exactly what she was feeling at the time other than my experiences with her. But, you know, we all do know that her mom was very sick at that time. And Mm -hmm. what I saw was a woman who was really um, steering the ship, I guess, behind the scenes because, you know, she made it all look really effortless. You know, she put a lot of work in to make it look effortless. But, you know, when she had downtime, when she wasn't recording her album or when she wasn't doing publicity that was being asked of her, which she did graciously for many, many months, you know, it was a long campaign. Um, You know, she was spending time with her family and her mom and, you know, like thinking about like having all of those things going on and balancing all of that. I mean, that's, that's a lot, you know, I I don't know that I could, you know, put out creative work while I was dealing with illness or I was dealing with falling apart and hurtling toward a, you know, scumbag in the white house. I don't know. Like that's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe doing the, the Audrey and Daisy work, um, helped open up that creative channel as well. I hope. I'm sure it did. And also, you know, you bring up a really important point that I think we forget about a lot with Tori. Um, though, how could any of us forget this? You know, she was so committed to, to work, to working on that song for Audrey and Daisy for doing press and promotion and for having really important and difficult conversations. Um, You know, she spent time with Daisy um, and, you know, was really, I feel like what I realized when I saw her with Daisy at that premiere and then splicing in what you're saying about her mother being sick and then thinking about her releasing a record and going on tour when a country and most people in the audience at her shows were really hurting, um, it puts into perspective just how much Tori shouldered and shoulders other people's pain. 
and how much she takes on and burdens herself. And I think it's really easy to forget that. Like we're talking 30 years of meet and greets and people crying in her arms and telling her stories that are difficult to hear. So the, she made total sense to be the one to record Flickr, to write and record Flickr and to be part of that project. Um, But I think back and I think I I feel a lot of gratitude to her and a lot of, um, you know, sort of like I, I feel I can see how burdened she must have been by that year that preceded it. And then the year of the album and the tour that she, she took on a lot. Um, The, you know, as the mother of a daughter, you know, I'm sure she also was burdened with the reality of the world that Tash was growing up into. Um, you know, she's so, she's such an empath and that helps her creatively, but I'm sure that just um, is so hard to wake up and, and to, you know, put out of your mind enough to get on with the work that you have to do. And also the work that you're doing is so connected to the, stuff that you're being burdened with right like she's she's just such a generous um soul both creatively and personally and i think that um when i think back to that time period i'm really awed um and full of compassion for just how um much she was the load that she was carrying and that's and and that's real too i mean like the the empath part the you know stopping to talk to people and really paying attention part you know seeing it as a a fan for many years is one thing but seeing it sort of like up close from the other side maybe it's really um it's not it's not bullshit it's really real yeah a lot of people talk to her they know people know who she is and you know i i saw many instances of people who came up and disclosed um, very traumatic things to her, very out of nowhere. And when that happens, this woman is present, listening, and not giving lip service. She's somebody who, when that happens, she does what's within her power to try and alleviate some of that pain. And it was really disarming to see that happening but also like completely reassuring right like you're working with your you know the person you admire most in the world whose work has meant the most to you out of everything in the world and you just hope that that person's not going to be an asshole (laughs) and so you know luckily it worked out you know like she's genuine she is who she says she is and deeply does care about people in general but you know um, she also has genuine curiosity about people. And I think that's another really uh, lacking element from a lot of people in the film and television industry, but also the music industry. Um, yeah. You know, I remember going back to the Hollywood reporter, you know, the Alicia Keys and Justin Timberlake and everybody on the round table were really looking at her in awe but so was every single other person on that set. You know, yeah. everybody was like, oh my God. You know, like people were just <laughs> like, they couldn't believe it. But like the thing that disarms people, going back to that word again, is, you know, at one point I was, I, I went to, you know, bring Tori back to the table and she was just talking to a production assistant. Just having a very nice, like, present conversation with a young lady who was really, 
you know, genuinely curious about her story. That's not how most people who were on that round table were conducting themselves in that day. Not that they had to, but right. you know, when you're there, you're not really talking to the crew right. and to the production. You're in and out. Yeah. You're in and out. You're you're the star. And yeah. You never got a sense of that. And for that reason, people were completely fascinated. It was great to see. I mean, it was really that. And again, like, I don't think Tori is most comfortable doing press. I don't think that she loves, I don't think any creative person loves doing that kind of press, especially when you're carrying with you the extra responsibility of representing not only you know, survivors, but, you know, two young women, one of whom was not with us at the time. She had killed herself. Audrey had been dead for a few years at that time. And then Daisy, who at the time was also struggling. So, you know, it was a a really interesting uh, balance of having empathy, but also, you know, getting the messages across that she needed to get across. It was a really uh, high wire act, I would say. Yeah. It reminds me of um, when you so graciously invited us to that premiere and we got to see Audrey and Daisy at the Crosby Street Hotel and obviously uh, talk to Tori and hang out and just see what it's like to see a Netflix premiere, which was so fun. Was. Um, and that's, that was a small Netflix premiere, by the way. That was like, you yeah, know, when you're when you're a documentary, good. even you're a Netflix documentary, <laughs> you get like a little bit of money, but, you know, you're not Stranger Things. This was very intimate, but I remember, um, just talking about her magnetism and her, uh, kindness and the way she listens. I remember Joey, I don't know if you remember this or Matt, you were in work mode, um, with her, but I remember there were several people in the audience who at at the Q and a part asked her questions. They were asking Tori questions and they were very Tori focused questions. I didn't think that they were out of line or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but she handled the the questions so well, but always put it back to Daisy and to the filmmakers and the directors. Like she, the person who asked it, I don't think felt bad either. I think that she hand, like she listened and then also gave what, she was there to do, which was to get this, this woman's message out. And it was so well done. And I was just like, man, I don't know how she does that, but she did it yeah. so well. I, I felt like I, I, agree. I don't know, just that magnetism that she is so magnetic and she'll take it. And then she can also disperse it as she needs. It's mm-hmm. very cool mm-hmm. to watch. It was a real masterclass in like saying like, I know that what you're doing is like, you're treating this like, like a meet and greet or something. You're excited to ask me right. a question, but this is not what we're me, here for. And it wasn't rude. Pull focus, and it wasn't rude. And she was able to partially answer and then defer to others on the stage and to sort of guide that person, the guide the person in the audience's question to someone else in a way that felt like that's what you intended to do anyway, right? Yes. In the question. It was really. I definitely remember that there were a few instances of it, um, and she handled it beautifully again she worked really hard i caught tori at the right time you know if i would have waited or if i would have asked in a couple of months i don't know that it could have happened i think the timing aligned everything just lined up really perfectly um you know even to this day when i talk to tori or her team about that experience you know none of us can believe how 
you know, easy, easy it all was in a way because, you know, you're dealing with, you know, an awards campaign, travel, you're just dealing with all of these like very stressful elements that, you know, are intended to do good things, um, but can be really stressful. So she was a really good sport about it. She really dug in. Um, you know, we started work in Cornwall. So that was, that was sort of the, the most exciting part of it initially for me, because, you know, when I was putting together everything on the business side, um, you know, Netflix said, you know, do what you need to do. And, you know, even when we were, uh, setting up in Cornwall to do all of the, you know, the work that we were doing to put together the music video, uh, the featurette for Audrey and Daisy, that was the debut of Tori's song. Um, it was just a great day of work. Um, so it was all just seamless from the beginning, seamless, welcoming, professional and like work ethic clad and iron, you know, I've always said that, but like to see it up close, um, it's, it's awesome because it just reminded me like you can really, people are really capable of doing incredible and big things. Um, and it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be a struggle. So it was a really inspiring thing, obviously, because you're, you're working with somebody who you care about whose work you care about so much. But, you know, when I set foot yeah. in the studio on Cornwall, I just knew like this was going to be <laughs> the ride of my life, you know, and it's a testament to your professionalism and your vision that you did not sort of let, um, you didn't let the fan part, uh, drown out the, the creative and the business part. You were, you were able to call on your knowledge of and, like genuine love and and um like academic interest in the work that she does mm -hmm. in order to make the pitch for her to do this and then to see that through and that's what that's why i think you're you know you have this um professional and personal relationship with her that is going to be you know long lasting because i think that you um you showed her like, oh, this this generation of of people who listen to my music who I've influenced um, are able to uh, push it back towards me now, right? Like if they're given the opportunity and there is an appropriate way to do it, you know, um, that was probably really enlightening and exciting for her to be like, oh wow, like I can't believe that you know this opportunity is coming from somebody who knows me and my work at you know on such an intimate scale but who has such broad uh mainstream vision for what they want me to participate in i think that was probably really fascinating and exciting for her to be like wow like this is it was probably genuinely surprising to her that this opportunity in this way uh with you at the helm uh was coming to her and that it went off so beautifully you know and without yeah, her images and, and again, I was asking for a lot of trust. And I think that happens all the time on these projects, especially on documentaries. You really need to be able to trust people because, you know, Bonnie and John spent four plus years making this film. It was about wow. Daisy wow. and Audrey's stories, which were really important to get right. You know, there were a lot of elements that needed to be just right. Right. Yeah. Oof. Maddie, thank you. That was such... 
that was such an awesome uh, behind the scenes look. I, there's obviously a lot more um, to come, and I know that you'll you'll share it with our listeners um, over time. But that was a wonderful um, reflection on that time, and I think now is the time for us to mess with the master because Matthew um, is in the is in the liner notes. He gets a special thank you for Nadine yeah. Nader. We didn't even um, mention that. Go flip to the back. Flip Matt to the Mazur back. and Netflix. But since, but since Matt Mazer at Netflix is in there and the liner notes are at the end, Matthew is going to hold his track list for the ending. That's Kristen, right. you are up. All right. Go I'm it. going first. And I feel like this is a really hard act to follow. The first part of this podcast is probably going to be so much better than the second part, but I'm going to do my best to make it interesting for everybody. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're excited. Okay. So I struggle with this one more than I thought because I, um, I don't know. We're going to hear this it. every week. Let's be honest. We're no, some of week. them, some of them have a little bit of like a, okay. I ha- I know what I'm going for. This one, I, I love Reindeer King. So I, I wanted to not, yeah. I didn't want to change that, but I did just because otherwise there's no podcast. We can't just come and say, I didn't change right. anything. Right, right, right. So, okay. We, we could, so, but it would make for boring podcasting. Yeah. This story of Native Invader, my version, uh, where we're starting in the old world. We are starting with Broken Arrow. We're starting on that tribal land. Hmm. Um, you know, you have, your your way has been lost. You are about to lose your way even further. It's a broken arrow. We are no longer being guided. Uh, but also, of course, uh, thinking about Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. So, that's where we start. Um, and I went with this kind of um, symbolic uh, directional theme. And then I went to Reindeer King. And the, the idea of go, kind of, remember maybe in the 90s, I think Tori said something like you to you have to go into the dark night of the soul, the dark, like the concept of the dark night of the soul and going into the darkness. This is what this feels like. So to get you back to you, we're going to descend into... Um, the brokenness, I guess. We're just going to go for it. Even though it says trail marked, do not go, do not enter. We are going to enter. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to go back in time on that path. We're going to climb. Um, I think when I was saying there's a lot of vulnerability on this album, I think of climb. She sounds just so genuine um, and um, like like young, not in a bad way like it like just like you can feel her kind of singing to and about her inner child in some ways um very hopeful it's very it's so beautiful i really love that song um hearing it live is also such a treat um but i really like the concept of uh, getting back to your yourself and then climb right behind it and so we have this moment of hope as matthew said and then we go bang we there it's it's all a fucking mess we're about to blow up the world's gonna blow up um absolute chaos yes now that song is um so powerful obviously political and um but you know you're really bringing that nature element the space element that you were talking about joey um, so then I had this whole section of my album after like the explosion, like the big bang, we go nature, we just go through nature, we go wildwood, um, 
to Benjamin, because he's a science whiz, of course. Up the creek, bats and wings. So I had this whole kind of like nature, uh, like earth kind of element in the middle, Mm -hmm. which I really like to play with. And that's when we go from nature and earth, and we're going to go to Mother Earth, and we're going to go to Cloud Riders, Mary's Eyes, and Breakaway. So um, let me just repeat that. So I have Broken Arrow, Reindeer King, Climb, Bang, Wildwood, Benjamin, Up the Creek, Bats, Wings, Cloud Riders, Mary's Eyes, and Breakaway. And I, when I made this track listing, I actually started with this song that I wanted to start the end with that's the song that I wanted to end with was how I started the podcast and that's because it's our the last time we hear from her before the pandemic and everybody's worlds worlds actually fall apart like it was a very equalizing experience across the entire globe Mm -hmm. I'd never seen anything like that in my lifetime um and break the I I should have said it though before yesterday before you break away it just that's the before and after to me so um yeah, I there was so much more like nature and mothering again on this album than I expected yeah. to find when I went back at it or went back to it and I started rearranging and I realized I had this whole real this awesome nature part. Um, I cut chocolate song. I it just it doesn't fit. I always end up skipping it no matter where it is in the order. I think it'd be a great B side. Mm-hmm. Um. I think uh, one thing that I thought about was adding Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't do, I didn't add it, but it almost felt like for me, Russia is important because it does remind me of that premiere we went to with Tori in 2016. Do you remember this conversation, Joey, when she mm-hmm. was, you know, she tells people, oh, I'm writing two albums. If, you know, I don't know what the world's going to be like. And I was like, or she said, depending on who uh, becomes president. And I said, Donald Trump isn't going to win. <laughs> and she got so serious. Yeah. And she was like, no, like, I think but she basically was like, I think he will. I just remember yeah. how serious she got because I was all jokey and being silly and stuff. And then she got very serious. Yeah. And she I remember serious. Yep. Yeah. And didn't she say something like I live in Florida? Like she said something along the lines of like, I see it around me and I see it like really, really something just to like kind of give off um, the scary vibe or whatever. She said that she said that thing that a lot of people said that that some of us maybe didn't believe, um, which is surprising because you live in Texas. So I so I thought that maybe you But I live in Austin. Right. And she and she basically said, like, no, I see it. And I'd been hearing from other people that they were seeing it, too. Um, And I just wasn't seeing it around me living, you know, in New York. Like, I wasn't seeing what she was. But she said that to us. She was like, no. Right. And then then she said she said, you know, I. She she very firmly said to us, I voted for Nader. Yeah, she told us that she... I made a mistake all those years ago, and look what happened, you know? Wait, I thought it was Ross Perot. No, it was Ralph Nader. It was Nader. Um, Yeah. It was the Nader push. Yeah. And she... Ralph Nader and Vayner. Yes. And we're not not blowing up her spot. She said she she felt bad. She said this in press before. But yeah, Yeah. but she's admitted. She's like, I basically had a protest vote, and that was a mistake. She's like, that was a mistake. Um, and she also, you know, suggested like, don't, 
you know, she, she didn't say this exactly, but she said something to the effect of like, don't underestimate the patriarchy and just how much yeah. people hate women. Um, so yeah. I, I, I didn't want to cut that song cause that, rem- and I remember when Donald Trump won the election, the first thing I thought of was the first person who told me that this was a possibility was Tori Amos. And it's crazy that's, to, that's to have that, that experience. And, and yeah. she was right. Um, and that's what I told my husband. I was like, Tori said this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but it was crazy but so cutting russia like when i hear russia that's what i think uh, of you know i think of that moment so uh, i didn't want to cut it but um i kind of don't know if it, the album needs it it feels political enough to me without it um but uh yeah that's it felt weird cutting the song that has the reference the reference to this native invader the title but right i mean you know, this is all in track. good fun yeah, bonus that's track true. anyway, as is, right? Well, um, but see, I think with the digital stuff, those bonus tracks sort of eventually become the real album too, you know? So it's sure. a little tricky. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, sure. Uh yeah, yeah, that's my that's my my list. Great job. Um yeah. my Thanks. mine is quite different than yours, which Ooh. is exciting. There there are some similarities, but generally speaking, um, it's quite different. So for me, um, you know. There is no opener besides Reindeer King. It just okay. is an opening to me. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. There's that sort of like cracking that you hear in the beginning that might be a piano pedal, might be some other, I don't know what it is, but it just feels like something opening up. And it's so meditative and it just takes its time. It's so unusual to have an opening song that's so long. Um, I think it's the longest track on the album. Um, and to start with the longest piece is really interesting to me. Um, And it sort of was going through my head um, when I was doing Scarlet's Walk, thinking like, what if there was a version where I began with Gold Dust, right? Um, Right. And then I thought to myself like, well, no, like to me, there's something spiritually connected between um, Reindeer King and Gold Dust. And so it felt like, okay, there's already an album that has that kind of majestic, um, emotional opening. Um, and the reason why I think for me it remains the opening is that it encapsulates that otherworldly cosmic thing that is happening in the record, but it is married to per- the, 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 married to the human, right? So it's otherworldly, but it's human at the same time. And I think that that conceptual tension on the record is so important and i think that reindeer king um really really uh illustrates that point right um so i just feel like it retains its place as the first song um we got to get you back to you just that ending is just so stunning it's so beautiful it's so hopeful but also um it feels like it feels like a warning almost like you got to get you back to you feels like encouraging but also this is a warning warning yeah you must you must get back you have to if you don't right dot 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 we don't know but you but the repetition is doing it it's tonally and in terms of mood, just um, every time it's repeated to me, it feels like it has a different intention. Yeah, it just it, it for me, it's like a message from an oracle. 
right? Yes. It has that, it has yeah. that feeling of being just a mantra given from an oracle. It's always the same, but the yeah. listener can take a different meaning from it every time. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. Um, so Reindeer King ends and our second song is Bang. Ooh. We we and the creation begins the big bang theory happens and suddenly we are flooded with uh we're we're flooded with uh the universe carl sagan um the bible um you know the uh all i want to be is the very best machine i can be right we suddenly have the um the elements that we are all made of um we're all star stuff she said we're all made of stars um and it reinforces that work of reindeer king it is it is celestial it is um spiritual and it is human and the way in which she um just the the phrasing of word crucifixion the gun on their tongues, shunning immigrants. Um, immigrants, that's who we all are because we're all made of stars. Just this idea that we are just like, she She. She encapsulates, especially as immigration and the battle over it continues to rise. And obviously you live in uh, Texas, so the politics that you must hear that must be seeping in all the time, um, I'm sure they're, they're, they're far stronger than what we hear in our respective uh, states and cities. Um, but it's just like, yeah, like this is random. Like mm-hmm. if you are not living in some war-torn place that's being devastated where your day-to-day um, chances of survival, you didn't do anything special. You were just lucky. You just right. you just got scattered in the right fucking spot. And that's what she's saying in that song. And it's so powerful. And I get like energized and angry when I think about it. And I feel like we have to go hard right away. And that has to be um, like, it just belongs there. Like it feels like something that has to happen at the top. And so after bang, um, we're able to, because the, because the creation has started, uh, we go into Wildwood and we are on, you know, with Persephone. Yeah. And we're with the, you know, the creation of the seasons, right? So we're moving on this path. We're, we're, we're going from the heavens down <laughs> to the earth, um, even though it, it's, it, it's so heavy on the mythology, but it's going from otherworldly into our world, into nature, right? It's, it's um, creating the environment. And, and I just love that song so much. I love it so, so much. I think it's so beautiful. The drums, her vocals, the lyrics, uh, the dynamics, um, the guitar work. I think that's probably Mac Aladdin slash Mark Hawley's best guitar work on any song he's ever done. It's so gorgeous. It's so, there, there's just- like, Allegedly Mark Hawley. Yeah. It is him, girl. It is. <laughs> Everybody, spoiler, Mac is Mark. Um I'll, <laughs> I'll blow your mind. He's been on albums prior to Scarlet's Walk as well and under pseudonyms. Um, so it's just so beautiful. It's it's just, I love that song. It captivates me. Um, I feel like in its current um, 
proper track listing, it somehow gets lost. And I think that like you almost forget that it's there. And it's a nice surprise, but I think it deserves prominence and it, 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 it belongs in that third spot for me in the narrative. So from Wildwood, we go to Benjamin. Um, and we go to Benjamin oh. because now we're sort of like moving forward into the now. And Benjamin, uh, because it's about corruption, the EPA, um, you know, uh, corporate pillaging of the Earth's resources, it makes total sense that it follows Wildwood. We have a sort of abrupt um, movement into that dark underbelly um, of what is being done, the fracking, the drilling, the the sort of, um, you know, wild evangelical extremists who believe that you, we, we are here to just rape the earth and take what we want from it in this life because it doesn't matter. And that's sort of extreme narcissism. Um, and I love where she says um, there is no avoiding necessity resurrecting herself and her daughters who will never be bought, not by the gods, not by the men on the hill. Necessity resurrecting herself and her daughters. It's that warning that, okay, keep fucking <clears throat> with the earth. It doesn't matter. Necessity will resurrect herself. She and her mm-hmm. daughter, like, like, this will all restart and you will you will perish. And it's done in this really funky, fun, sort of 70s flair, Kate Bush-esque. Benjamin almost sounds like it could be like a Little Earthquakes B-side. There's something about it that, that. Has that, that's got that spirit. Um, so the transitions, the little like blips and um, signals that are happening for me moves us perfectly into Russia. Ooh, Russia I like happens that. right that's after smart. that. It sounds fantastic together. Russia ends and Russia leads us into Broken Arrow, um, ooh, ooh. which I think you've touched on this already, but obviously given, you know, wherever you stand on the idea of whether or not there was collusion or good old fashioned propaganda, um, the fact remains that we cannot ignore um that statement that she's making about um, that Russian influence or interference or um, just sort of the way we were duped and, and, and forced to fight with each other um, on the left and the right. Um, and at first I didn't think I would include it because I always wrestle with the idea that maybe the for those on the left, for those on the right feels a little bit reductive. And I'm very much not like, I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm radicalized after these years. I'm like, no, 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 there's no both sides. <laughs> right. There's no yeah, both yeah. sides here. But right. that said, in the context of this new playlist, I understand it differently and I and I hear it differently now. So we go from there to Broken Arrow. And then after Broken Arrow, we move to Up the Creek because Up the Creek uh, continues her um, sort of witchy warning about our poison rivers and we go to up the creek which of course is thinking about climate change and um you know sort of the 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 response of nature to this um that i think again echoes that that folkloric element of of the record and that sort mm -hmm. of like uh better days past sort of feeling um because it was a phrase i believe her grandfather would say to her yep yep um, so it's kind of like that, um, country wisdom sort of in practice, right? Sure. And it ends up, it ends up being, you know, very practical, but also very cutting edge advice, you know, good Lord willing. Yeah. Rise, so. And having 
Tosh on it is so important because she has her daughter, the next generation, who is going to inherit this, you know, um, the repercussions of this violence that's being perpetrated onto nature and our climate and it's, you know, confused uh, reaction to us. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. And But for me, that sort of ends the... Because um, all those songs, though they are layered with the personal, um, all feel both political and spiritual and metaphysical. Um, so it makes sense now to move into the personal um, for that second half of the record. And for me, Breakaway is that transition. So to have the soul, completely solo piano song on the record, um, you know, one that is full of double entendre and, um, you know, is about her experience with the um, light princess and um, just sort of feeling betrayed that, you know, people she entrusted to take care of her art because the, the, the collaborative experience of doing something like theater, um, I'm sure it was incredibly um, onerous and stressful to her to be able to trust, you know, the, going off of the idea that, you know, she, she had to work with Maddie and Netflix and the filmmakers. I'm sure that there was some um, residual fear about um, being vulnerable and working with others just to have it sort of like, um, dismissed at somebody's whims you know um so when i hear breakaway it's you know a song that i i i don't always listen to but when i hear it in this context um it's so it's so vulnerable it's so honest and it's really pulling the curtain back you know so to speak to look at that period and that process for her um and for her to admit that disappointment i think is really really um it's really strong of her to admit just how much that broke something in her to have that um, not work out the way she had hoped. Um, next is Cloud Riders, which makes sense to me that there is this optimism and this, you know, um, we'll ride out the storm together. Um, and from there we go to Wings, which also makes sense to me. That sort of cluster of breakaway cloud riders and wings um, sharing sort of a similar theme of being a safe space and um, offering somebody protection and care and compassion during this time. Um, and after wings, we go to climb, which is just needs, needs very little uh, praise. Cause I think we all are in agreement about what a special song that is. Um, it's so timeless. It's so Tory. It's so beautifully um, written. The lyrics, the production, the music. It's just, um, it's one I've not heard live, and I wish I, that I would sometime. <laughs> I was I, just we saw, we heard it in Red Rocks, right, Maddie? Yep. Yeah, you all heard it. I didn't hear it. I was um, just going through looking at the songs I hadn't heard live, yeah, and I was thinking, yeah. like, I want to hear all of these, but continue. Yeah. Um, I, I will say while we're on the topic of climb, it yeah. was that performance that we saw um, that changed my, it turned my opinion of the song. Really? Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Well, the, it was that so spot on there. It was spot on. The, the live arrangement for this last leg of the tour was just 
gorgeous. Yeah. It was yeah. so beautiful. The way she sang it, the the register she used, the the key she used to sing the song, it was just very much from the heart. You know, like yeah. Yeah. when when she would say certain words in the song, it was as though it was her heart speaking and not Tori Amos. It was just wow. really beautifully felt. I thought I. I'm going to have to go watch that after we're done recording because um, I did not get to experience it in person like you all. It's not imprinted on me. Well, um, you chose your family over tour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> correct. Not, correct. The rest of us did not. No. And an, an asthma attack. Um, <laughs> I chose not to have one. Um, but the other thing about Climb 2 is that it's the first song that's sort of the only song on the record that sort of um, directly um, pulls in religion and faith and sort of the manipulation of the church childhood and um i think abuse and connection to the church that she has been sprinkling out through her career whether it's personal for her or just something that's on her mind um and that she is reckoning with for whatever reason it's there and climb um climb does that so climb feels super grounded in like the realities and the pragmatism and the harmful practices of the church, um, but also has optimism to it too. But it ends on such a dark, heavy note too. It just feels, um, it's just, it's just the weight of it is so intense. Um, and so after climb, we go to bats. And mm. the reason why I put bats there, first of all, it just sounds great as a second to last song. Um, the production, the arrangement, the layered vocals. Um, but also I'm thinking about the symbolism of the three candles in the window, um, which, you know, um, has different meaning depending on your faith or your culture. But, and I think that Tori knows that and she was blending them, but um, you see candles in the window, you know, it's a safe space. It's a welcoming space. Um, uh, you, you can come in, you're being welcomed and, I think of that welcoming in with that ending, that keep breathing girl um, and moves us right into Mary's eyes. And mm. I get chills when I say it, because when I hear that together, it feels like it's moving from, you know, Undine of the sea, the mythology into something more uh, focused and, 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 and the way it ends on the keep breathing girl and goes into Mary's eyes um, and sort of her, uh, speaking and willing willing her mother back to speech back to memory back to back to health but something that we know is not going to come we know you know unfortunately looking back at it that that um that plea that 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 prayer of mary's eyes um does not ultimately come through um doesn't doesn't change anything right it doesn't have sort of the dark but hope dark but hopeful coda of the beekeeper um you know it uh the story stops there um so to speak the earthly story stops there and it feels like a preparation for that kind of ascension which loops back goes back to reindeer king um but my album does have a bonus track and the bonus track is indeed Flicker. Yes, Flicker. Because uh, I think that we have to honor um, that song space. It, for me, it doesn't quite fit on the proper album, but it 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 is the, it's preparing us 
for what she did on Native Invader in so many ways. So I think, and also just got to get that little bit, bit extra of marketing in there. You got to, you got to put yeah. Flickr at the very end of it. So that's my track listing. Um, and it took a while. I wound up redoing this like six, seven times. Um, but I'm very, very happy with this one. And I've listened to it in this order a few times. And I think that it really, really works. I think Flickr and Bang can go together. I'm so curious to see where Maddie puts Flickr. If he puts it on the album, we'll get there. I'm very excited. But <laughs> I like all that uh, that fire imagery, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I took Chocolate Song off as well. Um, I want to say this about Chocolate Song. I, I don't... I don't... It stands out to me as the song that doesn't fit on the record. But I want to say... I want to. I want to give... Uh, true praise to the production of that song. The music, the production is so spot on. Um, I love the beginning. I love that sort of like shrill guitar when she says the word scream. Mm-hmm, me um, too. And, and then you get the like, the, the actual production is really spot on. It's really lovely. The ending. I love really the layered vocals that I don't yeah. hate. That there, sounds really good. There, There's so much good stuff on it, but for me, it just feels super out of step narrative wise with a really, really cohesive record. And so that's the only reason that I don't include it. And I, and I honor anybody who loves the song and thinks it should be the opening track or whatever. Um, But it just doesn't, it just didn't have a place for me, especially not. That's the beauty and the, and the chore of what we're doing here is that once we start to rearrange, some things just don't fit anymore. Right. Tori knows what she's doing. And once we start to mess with the master, yeah. we something gets knocked out of place. And obviously, you know, hey, she does it too. live too. She'll, she'll kill a song that she was going to sing. With sure. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And so Upside Down 2 is not on there. Um, I think it's a sweet little ditty, but it's not something that feels like album material to me. Bye. Next. I didn't count those as the main songs anyway. So I didn't technically didn't yeah, have yeah, it yeah, online. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. Okay, Matthew, you Matthew. ready? I'm so he, I mean, he starts with Flickr. What's gonna happen? Okay, so um for me this album is um I have the strongest personal connection and emotional connection to this album. Out of all of the albums, surprisingly, it's not just because I'm thanked on the album. It's not just because of the time I spent with Tori. Sure. I mean, it's because of, you know, a lot of different reasons. But at the time um, that I was hearing the album, at the time that I was really connecting with the songs, my life had gone from being like the best to the absolute worst over the span of one year. Um, So my relationship to music at that point wasn't um, as strong as it once was. I wasn't excited about much. I was in um, a really bad relationship. I hesitate to even call it a relationship. Um, I I met a really terrible person who, you know, tried his best to um, destroy my life and almost did. Uh, It was a really scary and really terrible situation. And, you know, it was really jarring for me <clears throat> as a person to go from having the biggest successes of my life, working at Netflix, doing this collaboration with the person that meant more to me, whose work meant more to me than anything, and actually, you know, coming out of it with a lot of success and, you know, the feeling of accomplishment that together with this team of people, we had done really um, important, but also 
really effective work. You know, we were raising uh, awareness for this issue. So the fact is not the ironic fact is not really lost on me that <clears throat> I went from working on a documentary about abuse to being myself, unfortunately, a victim of abuse, now a survivor, but it was a really crazy time in my life. So these words were connecting to me in ways that maybe they were or were not connecting to other people. I'm not sure. But because of that, the listening experience was really profound. And um, I, too, start my playlist with Reindeer King. I couldn't imagine starting this album with anything else. Um, it is like... It is the epic of the record. It's an odyssey. Um, and I, right now, it's my favorite song from Tori um, in the whole catalog. So it's a complicated song for me because I see it a little bit both as a triumphant anthem, but also it's um, it could be seen as a, a mythical quest or even like a funeral dirge. Um, but mm. most importantly for me, that song, as you mentioned, Joey has a really important mantra involved and that's got to get you back to you. And when you're in a bad situation, whether you're in an abusive relationship or a survivor or a victim of sexual assault, or you're just having a bad fucking day, like you just got to remember, like you have to get back to the core. You have to get back to yourself. So right. it was really important to me. Uh, hearing that song at that time because my life was really bad. It was a really scary situation. And uh, hearing this music really inspired me during a time when mostly I was just really stressed out. So from Reindeer King, I put Flickr as number two. Um, I always have seen this as being part of the the story of the album and i think after the sort of like shimmering beautiful atmosphere that ends reindeer king it's really interesting to to sort of dive into flicker which is very gentle but also uh hits you right in the face with just like screaming fire you know, the the line about the scarring underneath is defiling is shocking. But also, you know, if you've been through a breakup, if you've been in an abusive relationship, if you've been raped, um, that's something that you have to ask yourself. How do you get past being defiled as a human being? And Tori has shown us in her career and through her work that it's possible. So that energy for me was really evident and present in the song and really important to go from the category of victim to survivor. So personally, looking back at the song, I feel like it really fits with Native Invader for me. So from Flickr, I go into Climb, which I think Ooh, is a yeah. really nice, again, I think on Scarlet's Walk, we talked a little bit about having relief or a moment of release. And I think after reindeer king because i do think reindeer king has holds a lot of tension and i think um reindeer king holds a lot of power and then for flicker it just sort of ignites it right it just sort of explodes the the magic of reindeer king and i think after that intensity of those two songs the gentility of climb and the sort of handmade quality of climb 
in juxtaposition with the screaming guitars and with the atmospheric sort of like background noise of Reindeer King makes a really powerful first three songs. And from Climb, I go into Wildwood because I too feel like Wildwood belongs up front. It feels a little bit buried in the album track listing. And I just think it's such a, um, it just, it, it moves, right? There's such motion to the song. It really takes you to the place that she's conjuring. Um, and I've always felt it was just really special, uh, almost a magical song. <clears throat> so the next section of songs for me is really based on something, again, we talked about last week in Scarlet's Walk, which were the intros and the outros, which I've been paying a lot more attention to than I normally would, just to see how things connect. I love finding that connective tissue between the songs that makes for a new story or maybe makes for something that, fits really nicely together that we wouldn't have thought about. So from Wildwood, we go into Wings, which has a lot of, you know, buzzing and whirring and bleeps and, you know, all kinds of like little robotic sounds. So um, I thought that connected really perfectly with Chocolate Song, actually thematically and the atmosphere that is conjured in both songs with the sort of uh, sparkling dynamic production that happens around the piano and the keyboards. So from Chocolate Song, uh, I think it segues very nicely into Russia because again, Russia has that sort of background and that sort of um, that mystical sheen that we were talking about, that psychedelic sort of element coming through. Um, so from Russia, I go into Benjamin. Mm-hmm. which again has those intros and outros that are really interesting and complicated. And I think it's so subtle that if you don't pay attention to these elements of these songs, they can get lost. Um, and frankly, I mean, there have been a couple of listens recently that have shown me new little blips and whirs and beeps that I may have mm-hmm. missed before that connect mm-hmm. the songs for me now in a very different way. It's really interesting. So from Benjamin, I go into Broken Arrow. I think, Joey, you did the same thing. And it was about, you know, the the pimps in Washington and the assholes in power. And then going from, you know, watching all of these people um, fuck things up to the ultimate sort of like denouement of of our country, which is the broken arrow. That's I like those two together. That's good. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. I think they're really powerful and they're political without um, being annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, for me after a broken arrow it was really important to put mary's eyes um oh. and if you'll remember the end of broken arrow is have we lost her yeah and it's mm-hmm. haunting the the effect on the vocal is chilling and it's really beautifully textured and the way it's recorded and the way tori's voices are looped at the end is really uh it's really marvelous. It's just a really beautiful moment of texture <clears throat> that I think goes really nicely thematically into the song Mary's Eyes. So after Mary's Eyes, I went into Bats thinking the same thing, needing to sort of rise a little bit. And uh, Bats is a really good song. I like, love Bats. Really, it is. I really want to encourage everybody to go back, listen to the whole thing, but Bats is a really fantastic song. It's beautifully written it fits very nicely into the the canon of of you know songs that we know as Tory songs. It's it feels very Tory. The lyrics, mm-hmm. the singing, the rhythms, 
all of it. The composition is really beautiful. So- and just a little fun fact. Sorry, a little fun fact about Bats. <laughs> On Bats, she plays the Yamaha CP80 which she also played on Precious Things on Little Earthquakes, oh. and she and she says most precious thing in Bats. So oh, she yeah. references the title of Precious Things when she's playing the same keyboard that she played on Precious Things. That's what you come to this podcast for, ladies and gentlemen, these level facts. Go ahead, Matthew. Speaking of texture, so wow. Somebody <laughs> with the this the iron or steel trap memory will be able to remember that <laughs> joseph only, only for tori only the professor facts, nothing else nothing else mm-hmm. go ahead matthew i'm sorry to interrupt so after bats we go into up the creek i think those two fit really mm-hmm. nicely together in spirit and i think by that point in the album you need sort of a, a buoyant moment a moment that has a little bit more energy not saying that the album doesn't have energy but right. um i guess a more uh light energy because i think there is a lot of darkness on this record mm-hmm. for me at least and that could just be my interpretation of the record you know as i experienced it during a weird mm-hmm. part of my life but sure i see that very much um so after up the creek i go to cloud riders um mm-hmm. which i struggled with a little bit i had a hard time placing cloud riders um at yeah, first i had too. it up front and then I decided it maybe would fit better as a penultimate song. So mm. for me, after Cloud Riders is Bang, and that's the end of the album. Oh, bang mm. is a closer. Wow. I like that. Yeah. Kind of like burn it all down, start over. Um, you know, it it is also um, ending on a little bit of a note of faith, I think, that things are going to work out um faith in something bigger than you something more powerful and more you know devastating than you could ever be um we're all affected by grief we're all affected by trauma in our own personal way and the universe the universality of feeling um suspended in a moment of hopelessness or devastation i think is really encapsulated in that song and bang um in a really interesting way because it's so propulsive and so uh uh, aggressive compared to a lot of the other stuff on the record. So that's the note I wanted to end it on. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, go ahead. Somebody, <laughs> I wanted to end it so, on a note, a note exploring faith in something bigger yeah, yeah. than you. I like that. That's Great. really good. I feel like now my ending was too sad. Like ending with breakaway, but I, I guess, well, I didn't have Breakaway on my playlist. Yeah, that's like, what I was going to oh, say. Oh, you're right. You breakaway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so why? I <laughs> didn't think that this album needed a solo piano moment. I thought all oh. of the the sounds and all of the various keyboards and the you know elegant piano work, the electronics, the very minimalist sort of electronic textures, the hard guitars... I felt like mm-hmm. I, I think Breakaway is a fine song. I've listened to it, re-listened to it a lot, putting these playlists mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And I don't dislike the song at all. I think it's an it would make for an, again a nice B side. And I don't want that to turn into like the euphemism for a bad song. Like, oh, it could be a B side. Mm-hmm. It's still a good song. But no, no, um, especially just, not I her B sides. Like, They're special. The B sides are always the best. They just stand yeah. differently, you know? Yeah, yeah. I felt like it was a little bit like shoehorning in a solo track just for the sake of having a solo track for my playlist. 
-hmm. I thought it would fit great after Mary's eyes. I think that's a great sort of statement. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's not the one that I was trying to make here. So, um, you know, for me, the album, you know, I think knowing what was going on with Tori behind the scenes. And again, I don't want to like speak on her behalf or just knowing what I know about, you know, how much she loved her mom and adored her mom and how hard that time must have been for her while writing this record, while dealing with political stuff, while dealing with all the things I was asking her to do. I feel like this this album maybe has a, a theme of dissociation a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, certainly what was going on with me at that time, I was doing that too. I was really sort of like separating myself from the terrible things going on in my life at the time and um, focusing on other things to move forward. And I think there's a lot yeah. of that on this record, sort of you know, meditating, deep self-evaluation, and stirring the voice that's dormant, uh, the consciousness, the spirit that's dormant, and that you know is there, but for some reason you can't hear it, you can't see it, um, and you have to get into that mantra, which is the Reindeer King, and get yourself back to you. That's a that's a stark moment of realization, right? To realize, like, I'm not myself is a really big thing. And I think, I think that's there's a lot of that kind of questioning on this record because of, you know, what was happening to her in her life at that time. Beautiful, Matthew. Well, I feel like we've uh, really done something here with Native Invader, y'all. I think that... I think so. I think we have to end with our favorite moment from Native Invader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's the same for all of us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mine is there, the there layered so use and Reindeer King. They're epic. Well, yours. I mean, I I, I second yours, um, but um, also from Reindeer King. I think my favorite is the bridge. The know that I would skate mm. just mm. to hold your hand, skate all the way from Scandinavia to the moons of Jupiter, because mm. that moves into that special you, into the you who at the end and the layers. Um, that always gives me chills. That's that's a uh, that bridge. It just I often um will. Like, it's so rewind. desperate. Like it's so longing. You know. Oh yeah, I'll rewind to go back to that bridge a few times. I'll like slide my bar on my phone back just to hear that part again and again and again, and then I'll let it go to the ending and then I'll go back. Um, yeah. It's interesting that song really evokes ice and cold and freezing and that part of the song is so warm yeah and so just it's it's like it drops down just a little bit again yep. like yep. it's coming right from the chest right from the right from the heart um and you can really just you can feel it when that when yep. that moment happens i love that was that was the first moment that i really responded to on the record when i was listening to it and that part kicked in. I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> you know? For me, the moment is um, the mantra. It's got to get you back to you. That's a really, really important thing for me in my life. That has been in my head through many uh, things that have happened. It's gotten me, oddly enough, through a lot of, you know, treacherous situations it is something that's actually practical and useful as a mantra in everyday life 
it actually can do some good. Um, you know, yeah. it helped me get through a very, very tough time. And the song is, you know, extremely important to me because of, of that, that mantra, got to get you back to you. I've never, by the way, heard this song live other than when she put it in I the bridge know. of Bouncing Off Clouds. I love I'm that live, that radio version, right? That one that we've watched so many times on YouTube. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I agree. One other thing about um, Gotta Get You Back to You, it's one of those moments where when you hear it, you're like, wait a second, I've heard this before. Somebody has said this before. It's been in one of your songs before, right? And then you realize it hasn't. And it's like one of those things that just like feels like you know it already. Tori has mm-hmm. so many moments like that where you're like, oh, has she said something like this before? Is this right? Like, is she referencing? Like, and that's one of those moments where it's so uh, simple, but so uh, expertly crafted into the song that you think that you've heard it before you think you know it already it feels familiar from first listen and that is one of those moments maybe the moment um in her catalog where like you hear that mantra and it feels like you know it already because there's something about the um there's something about the certainty in her voice and the it feels like she's been saying it forever. And maybe she has. Maybe she's sharing her own mantra with us in that song. Who knows? Maybe she wrote it 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Maybe it's something because it, it feels lived in, right? From first, li- like it just, something like she says, it just feels like, yes, of course, you've been saying this to me forever, haven't you? Right. It, it reminds me of um, uh, 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 I'm okay when everything's not okay. That kind of yeah. moment where she drops some some sisterly wisdom on you and yeah, it, but it also yeah. feels like something she always said, or you always knew and you just need yes, your sister exactly. to tell you, you know, it's practical wisdom, practical yeah. wisdom. I love that. Practical and, magic. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. I mean, and it's also completely versatile. It really is a phrase that can be, you know, really considered and really, deeply thought about um whether you're yeah. looking inward at your your own issues or whether you're you know, applying it to something much bigger i think it really really works i think it's a really excellent moment again my favorite song in her entire catalog um and i think it's just beautiful well hmm. that feels like a perfect note to end on everybody thank you so much for listening uh Please follow us on Instagram. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, five stars, get us into that algorithm, get us moving along. Um, We already are hearing from so many people, which is so wonderful. And so it's so funny to us. It's like, really? People are listening? Like We're just sort of geeking out here. Um, I want to hear your playlists, though. Bring me those playlists. Yes, yes. Um, don't be shy about it, whether on Instagram or YouTube. Don't be shy, but don't be mean, okay? Don't be cook no. cruel. I um, And also, all Chocolate Song <laughs> fans, please unite. Come out against the atrocities we, committed we, against Chocolate Song tonight on this podcast. We, we, we hear your pain screaming. No. We hear it. <laughs> no, I just need to know where it goes. I need the story. Chocolate yeah. Song is great, but where? yeah. yeah. And you delivered, Matthew. So chocolate song fans, please come deliver. I will consider your placement, Matt. 
I will consider it. Yeah. Um, thank you all so much, Kristen. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all that uh, behind the scenes intel, her story about uh, about Flickr. So it was amazing, and I know that we'll get we'll get more out of you down down the line. But that was a delicious uh, first course. So thank you, everybody, and please join us next week for another edition of Messing with the Master. Bye. Bye. Thank you.